0: So, Justin, did you write that song, that last song? True and better, Christ the true and better. No, you didn't? Well, I, I thought uh, maybe you did. It sounded so so great. Well, thank you for allowing me to worship with you today. Uh, I'm Bob St. John uh, from Anniston Bible Church. I bring you greetings from our congregation. Uh, They are praying for us here today, and I ask you to pray for them as well. Uh, My associate pastor, uh, Brian Sullivan, is going to be preaching today. And we trust that in all of our sister churches, every church that is a gospel preaching church, is that we will see the blessing of God the Holy Spirit upon the word to create faith and to transform lives. uh, I'd like to uh, maybe just take a moment to pray myself before I share, if that would be all right. Father, we know we can do nothing without you. Your son said, without me, you can do nothing. So we ask now for the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen the gifts that you have given to me, that all of us, Lord, would be before you. As those who need to hear your word that you would rebuke the evil one and all of his distractions and all of his uh, efforts to hinder the gospel and that you would work powerfully to build us up to strengthen your church I pray your blessing especially upon Mountain View Lord that this congregation would bring great glory to your name that many sinners would repent and turn and believe and be taught and discipled and live and serve you, that many families would be transformed, that you bless mothers and fathers and grandparents here today, that you bless those who are single, Lord, who are giving themselves with their time to serve and love you, using their lives faithfully for you. I pray that you would bless those that are with child and that, uh, Lord, these children would be uh, born safely and in good health and mothers in good health and that you would work to cause these children to bring great glory to your kingdom, uh, to increase your name may be known throughout the earth. So, Lord... Bless our church. Bless this church in every way. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, there it is in black and white. You heard it read this morning. The ten words. That's what it's actually called in in the Hebrew. The ten words, the ten commandments written with the finger of God. You heard it read just like it was spoken on Mount Sinai while that mountain burned with fire and smoke and thunder and lightning. It was so horrifying that even Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. He couldn't stop trembling. The voice of the law is the voice of God. And Israel begged. For God to stop speaking. That's right. You can read it in the story there. They begged that God would stop speaking. And let Moses speak in his place. In his behalf. Because they could not endure. What was spoken. Why? Well number one. The law shows us the righteousness of God. Why was it so frightening? Because the law shows us. The righteousness of God. Now we we heard the Ten Commandments this morning. And I'm sure that many of you could repeat them. I hope that you all would learn them. Wasn't it humbling as we heard God's commands this morning? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols, any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it O holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie or bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. There it is. God's standards. The righteous Requirements. Of the law. Martin Luther, he said, you can't break any of the commandments without first breaking the first one. So before you can lie or steal or dishonor your parents or or whatever the other commandments may be, before you can break any of them first, you choose to have a God who is not your God, who is not the God of Scripture. First, idolatry. That's what comes first. Sin is always rooted in low thoughts, wrong thoughts of who God is. So you can't break any of them without breaking the first one. And, and the last one, you shall not covet. That's what did Paul in. In Romans 7, he talks about that. He said, I would not have known sin if I had not re- seen that commandment. You shall not covet. Because it was, it was in that command... That he realized that although he had not committed outward acts of sinfulness and he took pride in his righteousness according to the law, the law killed him. He said, I was alive once apart from the law, but when the law came and it said, hey, if you even want to, then you're guilty. Well, that did Paul the Pharisee in as well. The law is the righteous requirements of God rooted in his unchanging and holy nature. Written in stone. Permanent. The moral law of God. Yes, yes, eternal. Because it, it is from his own character. But also written in the conscience. Romans chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 Uh, The law echoes in the conscience of every person. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And so it doesn't matter who you are, whether you ever had a Bible or read a Bible or had a Bible read to you, whether you ever heard of the Ten Commandments, because you are created in the image of God, you are a moral agent, and you bear in your conscience a knowledge of God's commands. I remember when my daughter Candace was little, she had a sensitive conscience. Sometimes at night when we would put her down to bed, she'd say, Daddy, I feel bad. And I'd say, well, what is it, honey? Let's think about, why do you, I don't know. And uh, we'd talk a little bit, I'd say, well, tell well, tell me about your day. What, what happened today that maybe is making you feel bad? And it turns out it was something mean that she had said or done to her sister or some other disobedience that was hidden that we didn't know about where she had uh, broken the authority, rebelled against the authority of her parents. You see, she didn't even have, have to have me Declare her sin to her because her conscience made her aware of her sin. That's God given. In fact, the law is summarized in one word. This is number two. The law is summarized in one word, and that is the word love. If On your notes, you could write, draw a line between the righteous requirements of the law and the word love. In fact, you can't separate obedience and love, but that's another sermon. The law is summarized in one word. Listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He he declares to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. Matthew 22, um, verses 34 through 40 there. And then he says, and the second is like to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says something profound, which everything he said was profound. But he says, on these hang all the law of the prophets. In other words, no matter what law you can find in the Old Testament, whether given to Adam or given to um, Moses for the people of Israel, no matter what law you can find, it falls in these two categories of loving God supremely and loving your neighbor unselfishly. And in fact, that deals with the two human problems, our problem of idolatry and our problem of our selfishness. Uh, and in fact, those can even be collapsed into one because uh, the church father Augustine and, and Luther after him, they, they said that what sin is, is man curved in on himself. That sin so twisted Adam. Our father, so twisted Eve, our mother, so twisted that that man became curved in on himself so that he loves and worships himself instead of God. And he loves and serves himself instead of his neighbor. Man twisted in on himself. That's what sin is. And so we, we break the command, the first and greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But I'm an idolater. And we break the second great command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but I love myself and I don't love my neighbor. Those two commands, they sum up the law and they search us out. Romans 13, 8 covers that summary too. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong. To a neighbor, listen to it. He said it earlier in in the first verse of this passage that the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And here he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now that makes it simple, doesn't it? Our obligation is to love God and to love our neighbor. But somehow... Somehow we are not able to do this. Well, do you have to be perfect to go to heaven? Think about that question. Do you have to be perfect? Do you have to meet God's righteous requirements in the law? That's right. Yes. But none of us do. We were Born under the law, we're born under sin, and the law proves that I cannot stand before a holy God because the law shows our sinfulness. Number three, the law shows our sinfulness. Now, the Lord Jesus gives us two rules for interpreting the commandments. And I could talk about these two rules for hours and hours. I just think it's brilliant, just amazing how the Lord teaches us these things. The first one is the inside-outside rule. And the inside-outside rule says that not only does God's command forbid the outward act of sin. So we could take, for example, um, uh, adultery or murder. Um, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. So there's the, the law forbids the outward act of adultery. But not only does it forbid the outward act, but the inside outside rule shows us that it also forbids all of the internal desires, emotions, coveting that precede the outward act. And so Jesus says that whoever lusts after a woman in his heart or lusts after a man in your heart, that whoever lusts in his heart has already committed adultery. That the person who has malicious thoughts about another person, that has hateful thoughts, that imagines a conversation with this person where they tell them off. They may never speak it, but it is in their mind. He says, you're guilty of murder too. You're guilty of adultery too. So the inside-outside rule really gets to where the rubber meets the road. That God's commandments not only forbid the outward act, but they forbid all of the inward emotions and movements of our heart that that direct us toward that sin. The second rule is the two-sided rule. Not only does the... The law forbid the outward act. You shall not commit murder. And the inward desire, the the malicious thoughts, the, the hate, the anger, the sinful thoughts about another person, punishing another person, saying what you want to say to that person. It not only forbids the outward act and the inward thoughts and the inward emotions, but it obligates me to do the opposite. Not only must I not kill that person, not only must I not think suspiciously and assume I know their motives, not only must I not imagine doing sinful things to that person, but I am obligated to love that person. The command that forbids me to kill obligates me to love. And some of... The Pharisees were saying, you know, love your neighbor, or hate your enemy. But Jesus said, no, you love your enemy. Yeah. yeah. And so here, here is here is proven, right? Not only not only does the law find me guilty because I desire the outward act or I've done the outward act and because I have the inward emotions, but because I've refused to do the opposite. And so the law shows us our sinfulness. And listen, this is why Galatians 3.10, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, curse it be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. We imagine that we are righteous because we haven't done the outward act, not even close. Because God knows what's going on in our heart. Right. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the written, all that is things written in the book of the law to do them. And in fact, the law imprisons us under the curse. God has consigned, Romans eleven thirty two. 32. God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. You see, we, we have to know, and this is the, the beautiful thing about the law, is that the law opens my eyes to the fact that I can't save myself. So the law is like a state trooper that is, has the light, his lights on and is chasing you down the interstate. You are a lawbreaker. You broke the speed limit. Maybe you broke some other laws too. He is after you. The law pursues us. It isn't hot pursuit because we are guilty criminals before God. And the law accuses us of breaking God's commands. The law interrogates us And it comes out, the truth comes out, what is really going on in our heart that God knows and we know. Others may not know it, but the law interrogates us until finally the confession comes forth. The law proves our guilt. The law brings witnesses that have seen our actions, that have heard our words, that have recognized our thoughts. he's, He's got the audio and the video. Listen, God has got the evidence on us. The law brings witnesses that expose our shameful ways. The law judges you and me. The law condemns you. The law sentences you to wrath and to death and to hell. But what is the law really doing? I mean, it is really doing that. But there's more to it. (coughs) What the law is really doing is shutting down our self-righteousness. Yeah, we have a high opinion of ourselves. In fact, we can just look around and we see so many people that we are better than them. Right? That's because we have this high opinion of ourselves of, of our righteousness. We are self-righteous. I tell you, I, I just cannot believe what I see in our, our culture today in the way of self-righteousness. You know, we, we will condemn people from ages past. We'll condemn other people that are contemporary with us uh, as though we were not guilty. And it's just unbelievable. The self-righteousness of our culture but when we meet up with the law, the law shuts down our self-righteousness and it shuts us up when we try to protest and, and to demonstrate that we can save ourselves. And the law says, nope. because by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. The law shuts you up. Shuts me up. The law is like a sharp stick and it is sticking it to you. That's why just reading those commands this morning is convicting. Because we cannot stand before the righteous requirements of the law. So, the law, what the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Everybody in Adam is under the law. It is only by the grace of the gospel that a person can be under grace in Christ. Only those who are in Christ are under grace. All that are in Adam are under the law. The law speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law tells me who I really am. I've just been deceiving myself. I've just fooled myself thinking I'm a good person. Well, that is the world's lie, isn't it? Yeah, you're just a good person. You just had some bad things happen to you. And it's somebody else's fault and not your own. That's just the world's lie. We need to listen to the voice of the law. Otherwise, we'll never come to Christ. Listen, I, I, it is true that you cannot preach the gospel rightly without preaching the law. That's right. If you haven't preached the law, you will not be preaching the gospel. We must hear the voice of the law in order to be prepared to hear the voice Concerning Christ, the righteous one, the savior. So the law is about our works. Our works are never done. They are never enough. They are never righteous. In fact, our works are just filthy rags. So the law is about our works. But listen, the gospel is about the work of Christ. Perfect. The work of Christ, perfect, perfect obedience, his his perfect work upon Calvary. The work of Christ is completely done. The law says, do, do, do. And nothing is ever done. The gospel says all is done, believe. And so that brings us to number four. The law shows us our savior. The law shows us our savior. And here I'm just going to give you some things concerning Christ and the law. I guess, um, well, so much more could be said. But Christ fulfills the law. And this is in a number of levels. You'll notice some overlap in these bullet points. But the law bears witness to the righteousness of God in Christ. You can read about it there, Romans 21 through 26 or so. You know, there you you find that the law, and maybe verse 20, the law bears witness to the righteousness of God that is in Christ. And so uh, Christ fulfills the prophecies of the law. You remember, on the road to Emmaus, that the Lord Jesus, when he was speaking with those two disciples, how he, he explained to them that Christ had to suffer and then enter into glory. And, and he began to explain to them uh, how he is spoken of in the law and the prophets and the psalms. H- and so the law bears witness to the person of Christ and Christ fulfills the law. He fulfills all of its prophecies. He fulfills its, um, uh, its types and shadows. The law lifts up Christ, shows Christ to us. It shows me what I am. In fact, you know, I try to teach our children at ABC. We do catechisms on Wednesday nights that, that if you learn SOS shows our sin shows our savior. The law shows our sin. And it tells me I can't save myself. And the law shows our savior because it bears witness that he fulfills the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. Christ fulfills the law and the law witnesses to him. And and moreover, along the same line, Christ obeyed the law perfectly. He could say, which of you accuses me of sin? This is the, the faultlessness of our Savior. Even even, Pilate said, I find no fault in him over and over again. The Pharisees wanted to accuse him. They couldn't find things to accuse him of. The scripture says in 1 Peter 2.22 that he did no sin. Neither was guile, deceit found in his mouth. He did what was righteous in the eyes of God. He told John the Baptist, it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. And he fulfilled all righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Says that he who knew no sin. So there you have it, right? First Peter, he did no sin. First, Second Corinthians five, he knew no sin. Became sin for us. The one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. First John three five. The the son of God was manifest to take away sin, John says, and in him is no sin. So if someone, you memorize those verses, write those down in your Bible. And let me tell you about the sinless son of God. You can go everywhere sharing with people about the person who never sinned, whose righteousness was perfect in every way. They did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. Christ obeyed the law perfectly. And then I'm going to change this third bullet point a little bit. Christ satisfied the justice of the law. The substance is there. Christ suffered the punishment of our lawlessness. And he gives us his righteousness. But in suffering the punishment of our lawlessness, Christ satisfied the judgment, the justice of the law. The law demands damnation, condemnation, eternal separation from God. The law demands hell, eternal punishment because we stand before an infinitely holy God. But Christ, when he went to the cross, my sin, all my wicked thoughts, all my outburst of temper, all my rage, all my envy and jealousy, all my idolatry, All of my sin was imputed to my Savior. He he owned it as if he had done it. And when I believed in Christ, God imputed to me his righteousness. So that even though I never lived the life that Jesus did, it's been credited to me as though his doing was my doing, as though his thoughts were my thoughts and his words were my words, because God has, the father has imputed to me the righteousness of his son. So Christ satisfied the judgment, the justice of the law. And, and that's why Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. Romans 10 and verse 4. You see, the law is a covenant of works. You, you really can sum up God's redemptive work over the whole Bible in the words law and gospel or law and grace. And... And the law spoken of in that way means a covenant of works. It was was a covenant of works that that God established with Adam. See, a covenant is a relationship. It's an obligation between two people. It's a bond. And in most of these cases, and definitely in this case, the, the, the price, the punishment for breaking the bond is death. Adam Adam our first father and Eve they died they died spiritually they began to die physically in the day that they broke God's command it was a covenant of works and and they could not meet uh, meet the standard even though they had no sin nature they had original holiness but they broke that covenant of works Moses gave the commands and Israel was obligated as well to do that, as well as anyone who joined himself to Israel. And that was a covenant of works. So when we speak of law and gospel, I think Paul has in mind many times when he uses the word law, that he has in mind this covenant of works. And the law is a covenant of works. Do this and you will live. Leviticus 18.5 do this and you will live but we can't do it and it's never done but the gospel is a covenant of grace the the gospel is a a covenant of promise made to Abraham didn't depend on him at all he promised uh, the blessings that would come and it would come through the seed it would come through that one who is Christ And so the law shuts us up in the prison of our sin, shuts us up to the guilt of our sin, cuts us off from boasting in our self-righteousness so that we will be desperate for Christ. And then when a person does believe, praise God, Romans 8, 1 through 4, Christ gives us his Holy Spirit to fulfill the righteousness of the law in us. What was not possible under the law. See under the law, you're like Israelite slaves making bricks. You can never, you can never make enough. (laughs) The quota is never fulfilled. The law is like Pharaoh. You are idle, you are idle, make more bricks. Don't give them any straw. The law demands the righteous requirements of God be met, but it does not give us any ability to meet those righteous requirements. The law exposes the fact that I don't have the ability. We, we run through the land like the Israelites trying to fix find stubble in order to make bricks, but we can never meet the quota. And then the law says you're guilty You're damned. But the gospel. In the gospel. Christ has done it all. And we just believe. And then. Amazingly after we believe. He gives us. When we believe. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He poured out the Holy Spirit. On his church. On his people. So that you have the spirit of his. Of of the son of God in you. Yeah. And. And the power of Christ that teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust and to live righteously and godly in this present world. Do you believe that? Yes. That, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say no to sin and yes to God. That, that God, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk after the flesh, but walk after the spirit. If you walk in the spirit, Galatians says you will never, never fulfill the the lust of the flesh. There's two negatives there. You will will not. But it's to say, who may? Who may? You will never, never fulfill the lust of the flesh if you walk in the spirit. Now, we do not believe, I do not believe in Christian perfectionism. The fact is I sin every day. We sin every day. But... When we are yielded to the Holy Spirit, we can say no to that evil temper that comes from our flesh. When we are walking in the power of the Spirit, we can say no to whatever uh, sin that sets you aside, that stumbles you. You can, but it's through Christ. You can be holy, Christian. You can be holy. I know you don't believe it. Some of you don't believe it. But you can be holy through Christ, through the one who saves you. Who not only saves you from the penalty of sin, but saves you from the power of sin. All right. And the law teaches us, instructs us that we need a savior. So the whole of God's redemptive plan can be revealed and, and summed up in these words, law and gospel. And Paul says that the law is our disciplinarian, as it were, to bring us to Christ. But that Christ is the end. He's the goal. He's the fulfillment of the law. The law is the voice of of God on Mount Sinai that says to us, guilty. But the gospel in Christ is the voice of God on Mount Calvary saying, forgive it, (laughs) forgive it.